Hey, Dunker Punks. Today's episode features Josiah Ludwig and leaders from the Thriving Together program that his church, the Harrisburg First Church of the Brethren, is part of. Josiah and Harrisburg are part of the Atlantic Northeast District, and Josiah has been working alongside neighbors in an underserved urban community for about 20 years, and he spent a year in East Africa. And all of that have led to a real passion for pursuing racial justice, equity, and shalom for all people. Josiah and the Harrisburg Church of the Brethren are participating in the Thriving Together program, which is through Messiah University, and it's an effort to strengthen congregations' racial justice competency. I wonder if you have ever thought about your own congregation's competency in matters of racial justice. It's an interesting question, isn't it? My own congregation, Peace Covenant, COB, here in Durham, North Carolina, we just joined a group of churches and nonprofits called the Mount Level Community Partnership for Racial Justice. And it's an opportunity to connect us with other people of faith here in Durham, black churches and primarily white churches, who are learning and working for racial justice. For a congregation that is primarily white like mine, it takes some serious learning and competency strengthening for us to be able to show up and work for racial justice in helpful and humble ways. I want to invite you, as you hear Josiah and his conversation partners Brian and Rachel talk together, to listen for invitations of ways that you and your own congregation might join in this kind of learning and work. Hey, Dunker Punks. Josiah Ludwig here with another podcast around social justice. For today's episode, I wanted to let you all know about a program that my own congregation, Harrisburg First Church of the Brethren, has had the pleasure to be a part of over the course of the last year and a half. Thriving Together, Congregations for Racial Justice, is a program of Messiah University and is a multifaceted, multi-year initiative that's designed to strengthen congregations' competency around racial justice so that they can help people deepen their relationships with God, build relationships with one another, and to contribute to the flourishing of our local communities and the world. We have learned through the reading of books, attending of workshops, and traveling the region, as well as parts of the Deep South, in some really interesting experiential learning. But some of the richest, most enriching parts of the program have been the relationships that have been built across congregational lines as we hear what other brothers and sisters in Christ have been doing as we all work towards a better world. For the conversation today, I'll be joined by Rachel Johnson, who is a Thriving Together fellow and student at Messiah University. Rachel has grown up at Mechanic Grove Church of the Brethren near Quarryville, Pennsylvania, and has worked at Camp Sotara for several years as well. Dr. Brian Smith is a professor at Messiah University in the Department of Biblical and Religious Studies, where he has served as department chair for the past several years. I'm excited to share this conversation with you all because while the focus of this program is my local area, the things that we are learning and the work that is being done are transferable no matter where you are located. Let's start to do some of the good work together wherever God has us placed today.
that all people may one day truly thrive together. So I'm joined today by uh, Rachel and Dr. Brian Smith, and I'm just so glad to have you guys. Thanks for joining me for this conversation. Happy to be here. So I was wondering if you could uh, tell everybody a little bit about what, what is Thriving Together itself, and then how did each of you guys kind of get involved in the project? Uh, sure. And Rachel, I, 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 uh, I don't want to jump on top of you, but I think if I speak first, that'll frame uh, sort of where you fit into all this. Um, on the ground, uh, from our perspective in, in, uh, in Mechanicsburg on campus at, at uh, Messiah and in the Harrisburg region, Thriving uh, looks very particular to our region. I can speak later about the broader national effort that this is a, a piece of. But our Thriving Together program has really a twofold purpose. It's about deepening and broadening understanding of uh, the relationship between race and Christian practice in our region. So there's an understanding component, first of all. And then the second piece of our of our purpose is to cultivate a commitment of um, of practice of racial justice in response to what that understanding is. So we have more particular specific goals that come out of that, but we wanted to approach the idea of thriving in a very uh, regional common good way to think about the uh, the relationship between ecclesial practice and race and racial justice in our in our region and you know, part of that is introducing people to how much race has divided our region in, in the history of, uh, of Harrisburg. So I don't know how, you know, what the listenership of the podcast knows about that, but the Susquehanna river is, is a very wide river and it has a very divisive, uh, uh, history, uh, role in the history of our, of our community. Yeah, sure does. It's not the river's fault, and uh, you know the river's not the only component of that. Railroad tracks have a lot to do with that too, and highways. But sure, the river—the river is probably the most visible uh, dividing line. So you know, we we have a, a program then that works with a group of churches, twelve in our current cohort, and then a part of that is our student fellows program, which we have on campus, and that's. That's what Rachel is a part of. And so they work to both educate our students and support. So I'll, I'll let Rachel address her experience so far uh, in that. Yeah, so I'm a student fellow for the Thriving Together program. Um, and what we have spent the majority of our time doing as student fellows is researching uh, these churches and their roles historically with racial injustices and what they're currently doing. Um, and also specifically where they're placed and um, ways that they can help their congregation and also um, their community. And so along with that research has just been a lot of learning about um, racial injustices and um, helping to educate each other based on things that we know we've experienced um, and just cultivate conversations um, on campus with other students. That's fantastic. Rachel, how did you find out about the program? And there must have been some sort of process as far as them selecting you to be one of those fellows. Can you tell us a little about that? Yeah, so they sometime the spring before this program started, um, Messiah and the group of people that is um, in charge of the program um, had said they were looking for people to be student fellows. Um, And so I 
uh, in conversations with some of the directors, decided to apply. And um, it was this like application about what we knew, what we wanted to learn, different things that we thought could be done on campus um, and the surrounding areas of campus. And then we got interviewed by Dr. Smith and Dr. Hart, who are the directors, and um, Dr. Skinner, who's the student fellows advisor. And after that, I guess they talked and decided who they wanted and let us know. That's fantastic. What, what was it about the actual program itself that made you want to be a part of it yourself? Yeah, I think it was seeing this need in the community and having learned a little bit about racial injustices in the past two semesters that I'd been on campus um, and just seeing that it was a need and seeing it was something that people were invested in on campus and that it would be something worth my time for myself to learn and also to be able to teach others and help others on their journey. So that's awesome. And and Dr. Smith, as far as like the selection of the, the congregations and, and that piece, I know like for instance, I knew what it took to apply as, you know, right. my church is blessed right. to be a part of this thing. Um, but from the right. other side of things, what what sorts of things did you guys take into account when deciding? Because I know you had way more than 12 that applied. So how did you kind of figure yeah. out, okay, these are the ones that we kind of want to invest in? Or obviously you can't say yes to everybody, right. which you would have wanted to do. But how did right. you make those decisions? We uh, were very pleasantly surprised by the, the response. Um, now we had to, we had written this the proposal. Um, it was a real collaborative effort. My myself and and uh, my co-director Drew Hart, Dr. Skinner weighed in on the um, the fellows piece of it. Our dean was the primary organizer uh, of the grant writing process, but we also had a other faculty who were weighing in too as kind of an advisory board. So we, it was a group effort. And what we wanted to do because of the goals of the, of the program, we really wanted to have cohorts of 12. It seemed just a very biblical number, I guess. I, I'm not sure. sure how we came up with 12. Um, Seven I don't or think so. it was a, yeah. mm-hmm. I don't think it was donuts. I think it was, uh, or eggs. It was all probably motivated by something spiritual. Um, we wanted uh, to foster not just, uh, work within each individual congregation, but we wanted to think creatively about the whole region and how might we foster more connections across the geographic uh, boundaries that we live with. So we wanted a representation from across the region geographically, but also denominationally. We wanted some churches that were, what well, we wanted a, a range of ethnographic and racial makeups within the churches as best we could. So we were really fortunate to have 30 churches express interest and apply and so we were able then to to look at their applications and and see what their interest was, whether they had done work in this area in the past. And uh, to be frank, we we wanted churches that had already done a little work. We we um, we thought it would be better for the program if we weren't having to start from scratch with everybody. And um, we were pleased, actually, I mean, surprised by how much work people were already doing. Obviously, HBIC, where you are, Josiah, has been doing really wonderful work for a long, long time, has a deep history of this. Um, but, you know, you guys have your own complex history in this regard as well, because of the <laughs> length of the time that congregation has been there and the way the, the region has changed around that congregation. So all of the 
all of the, the churches that we have are um, have expressed interest in doing this kind of work. We have four churches on the west uh, side of the river and eight churches from the east side. We have a range of racial blends. We've got a range of denominational blends, uh, more more progressive, more conservative, and these these intersect in various ways. So it's a really rich group of of uh, churches. And um, given our fortune of of having so many apply for the first cohort, I'm I'm thrilled that we're going to be able to do this all again in 23 and 24 and 25 uh, with another group of, of churches. And I'm hopeful as well that we can. We can find the same rich soil of the work in. So it's a combination of, of where play people are, uh, both in their own histories and their own understandings of these issues, how much work they've done in the past, what kind of visions they had. And we we insisted on commitment from the leadership. Uh, every church has to have a clergy person, um, full-time staff, if not the lead pastor, an appointee by the lead pastor, and then lay leaders involved. Um, so we had to have uh, congregational buy-in, um, some history, and then we wanted to, to do some matchmaking in terms of how the cohort looked as a whole. And I think we were able to do that. Well, I, again, I, I know that my church has been very challenged and blessed by our involvement. So, Rachel, I, I was just wondering, as far as you know, since you've we we know that you applied, that they chose you, that you're interested in this kind of stuff. What what have been some of the I don't know, some of the things that you've learned through participation in this that that are just brand new, like challenging sorts of learnings? Um, I think probably the biggest thing that I've learned is how much like racism still exists today. It was something that we would learn about in high school. And it seemed like it was very much something that, you know, happened in the past and wasn't really something that was talked about now. And um, one of the things when we first got the list of churches and we're looking at where they were is just seeing the still divide between churches that are uh, more racially diverse or um, are predominantly attended by people of color versus white churches. And seeing that still exist today, that <laughs> is something that has really challenged me to look and see how racism exists even today and how we can address it today based off of what we know that has happened in the past. Mm -hmm. What, what are some of those things that, that you've learned that have happened in the past that do like affect daily life today? Like I, I know some of the stuff that I think I had done some reading on before a little bit, but like definitely in our conversations, they've been brand new for a lot of the folks in that room. What, what were what are some of those things that like maybe not just anybody knows about um, that you've learned? Um, one of the things is the role of Christians in racism in the past, that they would be against racism, but wouldn't actually do anything to combat these injustices, um, that they just sort of let it happen, even though they said it was um, wrong. And I think that is something that we can really look at today and see. So we know that this happened in the past. We can see that a lot of times Christians weren't the most active in speaking about these injustices. So how can we change that so we are more active today in speaking out about these injustices? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think Dr. King has a quote about that um, around <laughs> Christians that just allow it to happen that say nothing um, mm-hmm. and how that's far worse than the white supremacists. Um, I'm misquoting him for sure, but it's along those lines. Um, Sounds like you're channeling the letter from Birmingham jail, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so say a little bit. So we've, we've done a lot of like experiential things to help us to learn a little bit about this idea of like race and place and how race has really shaped the places where we live. Can you talk about some of those experiential things that have happened and what does that, what is race in place? What, what is that? Well, I, you know, I, I, this is part of what Rachel is learning about. It's something that I learned about, you know, started learning about probably, I don't know, seven or eight years ago when I first started doing a lot of intentional reading around this, the role that our, our, the way, the way, you know, the way white, the, the white majority has dictated our social geographies in this country has had a lasting impact on resource management, on maintaining white supremacy. And um, those things are enormously challenging to reverse because it, it simply becomes the way we understand the landscape that we live in. And when you're raised in that landscape, you know, you don't even realize that that's what you're you breathe it. That's that's just the air that you breathe. So, Richard, I don't think the fellows had to read The Color of Law, did you? You guys read Tisby's book, The Color of Compromise, and he has a great, very accessible um, historical mm-hmm. approach to this. And so he, he really addresses how the church has sort of not just been along for the ride, but has actually been a lot of the driving impetus behind our current racialized uh, society here in the States. But Richard Rothstein's The Color of Law demonstrates um, unequivocally this relationship between housing and geographic arrangements and, and, and racism. That's a very powerful piece for me uh, that the leadership read in, in preparation for, for guiding this. Um, and, you know, one of the experiential things we did in order to manifest that or to demonstrate that was the first major event, which was um, our, little, our little regional trip last fall. So Rachel, do you want to say a word or two about that October event? We got on the yellow school bus and drove all over. <laughs> yeah. So for that event, the one of the first things that we did was we went and visited the Carlisle Indian School and saw how this area wanted to make people who weren't white try to be as white as they could be. And how uh, that really changed a lot of people's perception around race. And then the fellows didn't get to go and see this, but um, one of the people on the directors had on the board of directors has a restricted deed that um, their house can't be sold to someone of color. And seeing that that still exists in our area today, even like not seeing that and not like being there while they were learning about it, just knowing that I think was super impactful for a lot of the people on that event and also just for the student fellows learning about the area that we go to school in. So when, when we pulled up in front of the house and the, the person tells everyone, yeah, like this is my place and it's a restricted deed. And then like four of the guys on the bus are like, oh, 
that's our church right there, <laughs> you know, like across the street. Um, it really did that that moment really did hit home as well. And uh, we we also went across the river. I don't I don't know if you know about this part, Rachel, or not, but we went to a new monument downtown toward the it's it's remembering the old eighth ward in Harrisburg. Did you learn anything about the old eighth ward? Um, we learned a little bit throughout our research of where the churches are placed and everything. We haven't done too much research on it. Okay. So essentially what, what has happened in my city, for those of you listening, is um, there was this thriving, amazing intercultural community, primarily made up of people of color, just you know, business owners, entrepreneurs. It became kind of a, a safe haven for freed people coming up past the Mason-Dixon and all, all sorts of amazing things are happening in this neighborhood, and it's called the Old Eighth Ward. And then one a of, day, a lot of a lot yeah. of Jewish immigrants too were settling yeah. in that region. There was at least one synagogue, if not two, in that ward as well. Yep, yep, two historic synagogues and at least three historic black churches that remain in my city were there. And then one day, the state was like, "Nope, y'all can move because we're going to build the state capitol right here." And I've grown up in this area, and like. I love my capital. I think it's beautiful. It's one of the most beautiful capitals in in the country, I think. And now to know that that's what happened. And then I think it was like 10 years after that, they moved in one place and then they were like, nope, you got to move again because we're going to build like the Social Security Administration building and these other office buildings. It's just amazing. Like they would have never done that if it wasn't that type of community. And so anyway, we visited a, a monument to that, remembering that um, amazing neighborhood. Um, and that was very eye-opening for a lot of folks as well. And it is amazing. You guys did some work around showing us like the actual maps, like uh, when you learn about redlining and, and that kind of thing. And living in my city, it's amazing to like be like, oh, yeah, that, yep, exact, yep, that's where it gets a little, it's a little nicer above this street and it's insidious how <laughs> yep. how much it and that what what decade was that 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 all happened that was in uh yeah they started the the city beautiful movement was in the first two decades of the 20th century so that's when they were yeah so moving 100 everybody years out. ago, it 100 years ago. and the second one of our church, second of our churches is right across the street from the state capitol and there so their go. membership was like thinking we were right across the street from when this is all happening mm-hmm. and so they're you know they're starting to think about their you know, what was their congregation doing during that? And meanwhile, one of the churches that had to move twice is also in the group. In <laughs> our group. Like, we were right here. Y'all were right there. What did you do? <laughs> yep. It was pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. And that, that's really the beauty of looking back for the purposes of thinking about how to move forward. You know, we don't mm-hmm. want to just make this all about historical, you know, awareness, but that, that history has an impact on now. And mm-hmm. it, it helps explain why things are the way they are, but it also, I think, provides the motivation and also can be generative in terms of ideas for what we can do in the future in, in individual congregations and also in partnerships. So, you know, we spent the first year kind of exploring the past and thinking about the broader history of race in the U.S. And now we're going to really be pressing the, the congregations to think about things that they can do individually and perhaps in partnership with another organization in Harrisburg um, or with another church. So in two weeks, Josiah, you guys, you know, we'll all be coming together again 
and we were just putting the finishing finishing touches on our schedule for that day uh this afternoon and um you know we've got three terrific organizing organizations that are going to come to uh, talk about their work and um provide connection and idea and inspiration for our for our cohort to begin thinking about this stuff and then we'll spend some time in the afternoon brainstorming around projects and then thinking about how the fellows can support that that work yeah. start to put theory to practice now yeah for sure for sure something else i've appreciated being a part of it how the fellows have been assigned one of the congregations to to help us look at where are we and what has happened since we've been there and like things aren't the way they are just by happenstance and and like to learn from that past and then also like think about how can we make what has been wrong how can we work towards making it right again and and that kind of thing rachel can you talk some about like your interaction you don't have to name a specific church or anything but just like talk about some about that relationship and how you've related with a congregation in that way yeah um it has been super helpful to have specific churches that we as fellows are working on helping them with their research and seeing things in their community, specifically with looking at their history and potentially pulling out things that their church has either intentionally or unintentionally overlooked and showing them and telling them like, this is what it looks like to an outsider that hasn't grown up in your church or that hasn't always lived in this area that your church is in. Um, And something that has been really helpful with that has been us visiting each of the 12 churches in the cohort and seeing where they're actually located in relation to what we know about different areas of Harrisburg and knowing that this is an area that people typically tell you to stay away from and then knowing that there are churches that are in our cohort that are there and helping them to just see things from the perspective of someone who is mostly new to the area that their church is in, as opposed to people in the congregation that have been there and the culture around their church building um, is just something that's part of their life. Yeah. Well, and you're speaking about like, the church building house part of their life something that happened when you all visited our church like the whole crew had lunch at our church one of the days i think it was when we had that first trip we were talking about and to have outside eyes walk into the worship space that i was just kind of used to because i'd gone there forever but we had windows that had been put in in 1940 something right i had a painting that was installed in like 1960 something and needless to say, like people had some things to say <laughs> about depictions of Jesus and just how white he is and that kind of thing. And we've had conversations at the congregation level because of that. And some changes are happening in our faith community. So I can just speak to the fact that like having those outside eyes, having somebody say, hey, did you notice this? Hey, maybe you're just used to that, but it's not necessarily mm-hmm good thing to be used to, you know, has been helpful for us. So I'm really looking forward to Dr. Smith, what you're talking about as far as like the, we've done a lot of learning about the past and we're getting into some of the present. And so what can we do moving into the future? That's, that's really exciting for me. I want to, I guess, ask you guys maybe one final question. And that's just, so 
this program is focused on Harrisburg and, and our region, but there are there are truths, there are things that you can learn or can do, some work that can be done that you know is transferable no matter where a congregation is located. Can you speak to some of that work that you would encourage those from across the country who are listening to, to encourage their own faith communities to, to get involved in? Um, I think something that sticks out to me the most is something that anyone can do is just starting conversations. You have to start somewhere and starting with a conversation about racial injustices or finding a book um, that really encompasses what the U.S. or your specific area, where they've come from in history and where they're at now, finding something to just start a conversation and um, get people thinking about what has happened and what needs to change um, now and in the future. Yeah, and I think uh, the the Jamar Tisby book, Color of Compromise, is a very gentle uh, way. I mean, relatively speaking, it's hard for some people to read. I you know I say gentle because I've read some stuff that's not gentle. Um, he has a he loves the church, and and this is coming out of his deep desire to see uh, the U.S. church behave differently. Um, and I know that's been a helpful book for the for our fellows to to use as well. Mm-hmm. So that's a great. That's a great thing. I, I also think it's really helpful to think about, you know, the past a little bit and something that I keep coming back to in my own life that I haven't yet found the, I don't know, I, I want to ask my mom and dad about this, but they're in their eighties and I have to decide how much is worth, you know, Yeah. but I'm genuinely curious. I was born in the suburbs of Chicago in 1966. So I was two years old during the riots of 68 and i i want to know what they thought because they were just 20 minutes away by mm. car in the safe suburbs of wheaton illinois you know they're just a half an hour outside chicago what were they thinking what was the church thinking was something said on sunday about that you know what what did we do as a as a body of faith during those times, were were any of our folks connected to that? Were we sp- thinking about it at all, or were we just safe enough that we could ignore it? So I think querying our own engagement in the past, you know, um, Todd Allen, our VP for Diversity Affairs at, at the university, runs these amazing bus tours, and we took one this past summer right down south. That's another great experiential component to this. But he often has people say, well, if I was there, if I had been down alive in the 60s, if I had been doing this, I would have done X, Y, Z. And he's just very careful to say to people, whatever you're doing now is exactly what you would have done then. And so thinking about what we did in the past is a way, I think, to compel us to maybe make him wrong, do something different now. Mm than we than we might have done in the past do better <laughs> do better yeah do better do better yeah. be better do better yeah. Be, yeah be better by doing better you know reading is one thing um mm-hmm. you know look at us we're all we're all white safe and yep. we can read a lot of books but we gotta we gotta live this stuff more mm-hmm. more than we do typically yeah and I, I found that even a little bit of like actual research around like your region it's it, a lot yeah. of things you can just find by look by looking like if you wonder well why is why is this school district better funded than that one or mm-hmm. you know 
they're right next to each other. Why why is this one yeah. where like the kids are going to the nice fancy universities and this one, you know, if you look enough into it, like there are very good reasons for a lot of it. Um, oh yeah, intentional reasons. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Right? Yeah. This is yeah. not the product of contemporary laziness. It's the product yeah. of past effort, but on the wrong side and in the wrong direction. Sadly. Sure. Sure. But yeah, we have, things... and a lot of us don't know how those things are funded. You know, you got to care enough mm-hmm. to actually do that investigatory work to to figure right. this out. Right. And that's some of the work that I think I'd encourage anybody anywhere to get involved in. Yep. Um, you know, as Rachel said, have some conversation, do some learning, read some stuff, get on the web and, and, and learn a little bit. And then once yep. you know a little something, partner with somebody doing the work to, to bring about like a, a change, like a, a, a real change. So things can be so much better than than they are now anyway so yeah and churches don't have to like you said partnering is great there are a lot of really good people doing a lot of really great work and churches don't have to reinvent the wheel or come up with things on their own a lot of churches are are, just don't have the resources right but when i think about in in the harrisburg region we have christian churches united that works to amplify the the impact of churches in the region who don't have something as richly organized as bcmps does for example at first church but and you know rachel how big is the church that you grew up in um it's it's big for church of the brethren but it's big for church of the brethren church Church. (laughs) maybe like like 150 something like that um i think more than that i'm not sure it's changed over the years no that's great but that means yeah that's that's the largest church these days it's not certainly mega church but it's a it's your largest church. It's but it's not very urban, right? No, oh, it is in the middle of cornfields. <laughs> right. So the temptation there will be to say, "Well, we've never had an issue with race here," but I have mm-hmm. a hunch there were some First Nation folk living on that territory before the white people moved in. So that racial work is not necessarily around redlining; it's around who who lived here first, mm-hmm. or at least before us, and how is it that we ended up with this territory? Mm-hmm. So they're different. It, it 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 depends on what context you're in, but no one's exempt mm-hmm. from this. going to say Rachel's church and many churches like hers do have just as much work to do as yeah. as churches in urban areas. And mm-hmm. some of some of that work, I think, is starting from square one and just recognizing that there is a problem at all. Because right. when you're that far removed from everything, you can feel very safe and just be like, "Well, this is the way it's supposed to be." Um, it's based on my good decisions that things are that way and they're bad ones right. that they're that way. And it's just We've not been a good stuff. steward of our resources, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. All right. Anything else you guys uh, want to share uh, before we end our conversation today? I wish I had started when I was younger. Mm. So I'm, I'm delightful for... Yeah. I, yeah, I'm definitely glad that I am starting learning about this as a college student. Yeah, never too young to get started with the good work. So, all right, guys. Well, thanks so much for your time. Appreciate you both. And uh, yeah, I'll catch up with you, I guess, in a couple weeks. We'll be on campus together once again. Sounds great. Thanks, Josiah. Appreciate it. Thank all right. you.
At the top of the show, I mentioned that my own congregation has recently joined a community partnership for racial justice. One of the organizations in that partnership hosts an event regularly that they call the Durham Pilgrimage for Pain and Hope. And the pilgrimage is a weekend-long experience where people travel around our city together and learn about Durham's history. From the Okanichi and Eno tribes who first stewarded the land where Durham sits, to the Stagville Plantation north of town where a thousand people were enslaved in the 19th century, to downtown Durham, which was known for a long time as Black Wall Street because of its thriving black businesses and communities that were really energetic and full of life and richness until the state decided to separate that neighborhood with a highway. I participated in the pilgrimage last summer, and it transformed the way I understand the place that I live and work. I learned so much that I had had no idea about before. Racial history of this place that informs the racial present. The organizers of the Pilgrimage of Pain and Hope call it an opportunity to discover how your spiritual journey is connected the place you live. Experiences like the pilgrimage and what Josiah's church is doing with the Thriving Together program, they do, in fact, strengthen our racial justice competency. But that work takes work. Like Dr. Smith says in the conversation, racial injustice is not the product of contemporary laziness. It's the product of past effort, but on the wrong side and in the wrong direction. If we want to do better today and for the future, we have to understand how we got where we are. And learning the history of your particular place is one way to know better in order to do better and be better. So I wonder, Dunker Punks, how you and your congregations might already be doing the work of learning history and choosing better ways forward toward racial justice instead of racial violence. I wonder if you haven't yet begun that kind of work, if you found some inspiration or invitation in this episode. Rachel says in their conversation that anyone can do it. Start a conversation, read a book, go on a pilgrimage, Enter into relationship, learn the racial history of your place, and commit to being part of a more just future where you are. It's possible. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode. The Dunker Punks podcast connects folks across the country who are trying to do better and to be better. This episode was created by Josiah Ludwig, who is edited by Jacob Krauss, and I am one of your hosts, Dana Cassell. I use she, her pronouns. Jacob Krauss creates our music. Suzanne Lay manages production and communication. The Warrensburg Church of the Brethren, Beacon Heights Church of the Brethren, Arlington Church of the Brethren, and On Earth Peace sponsor the show. Do you know that you have so many opportunities to be a part of the Dunker Punks podcast? We're recruiting 20 congregations to sponsor our show. Shout out to the Warrensburg Church who just joined that crew. 
Our home churches, the brick and mortar ones, are all about faith formation. And we know that they value what youth have to say about following Jesus. So we're asking congregations to support youth and the podcast as a platform where youth speak up, where young voices of faith are amplified. You can email us at dpp at arlingtoncob.org for more details. We have a fantastic informational packet about congregational sponsorships that you can hand to your church board chair or your pastor. You can ask your church board to include a budget line for the podcast, $200. Together, we can literally, financially, value what young people of faith have to say. We're also recruiting a new communications intern. These are students uh, who work a part-time, remote, paid position that's sponsored by On Earth Peace. You get to work with a fantastic, non-hierarchical project team who lives across the country to help recruit new voices, get to know the young people who speak up on the show, and help make connections with the messages. Our interns get experience in interpersonal communications, project production, social media content generation, fundraising, and graphic design. Plus, you get paid. Email us at dpp at arlingtoncob.org for more details, including a job description for that communications intern position. We're also looking for new audio contributors, so if you have an idea for a show or someone you'd like to interview or you know a young person who would be a great audio contributor, let us know. Email dpp at arlingtoncob.org. Suggest an episode, a series idea, or if you know a seasoned minister, we have a series interviewing those folks and we'd love to have you interview your favorite one. Join us next time for an episode with Annalisa from the Women's Caucus. That episode drops on November 12th. Until then, do better, be better.